0: Alright students, welcome back today. We're going to conclude the Purgatorio. So remember yesterday we talked about the seventh terrace on top of the mountain of Purgatory and that was the lustful terrace. The terrace where the souls are burnt alive for the sins that they have committed and are expiated by the sin of chastity. And So I, I had a chance to look up the word chastity and what it literally means is to keep away from a moral, uh, promiscuous, or sexual act. So the idea behind chastity seems to be that even if one engages in the act of reproduction, that one is not afflicted by the sin of that act. So it makes sense that Mary, who is known to have done parthenogenesis, at least theologically or mythologically, that means virgin birth, would then be called chaste as well as the figure Callisto, who was who was taken by force by Jupiter. And so the idea seems to be that they engaged in the act of reproduction, but they did not take some sort of sinful... Uh, they, they did not do so because they were subject to the sin of lust. Interesting. Weird. All right, in any case, recall that we also met Guido Guinezelli, the founder of Italian lyric poetry yesterday, and Arno Daniel. Remember that Arno Daniel was a... Pro- Provençal poet who wrote in a French-like dialect and is the only character within the entire Divine Comedy that gets to speak in his native language, which is not Italian. Not even Ulysses gets to speak in Greek, possibly because Dante did not know ancient Greek, wasn't as popular to learn at that time. Um, In the Middle Ages, Greek literature, in in fact, Greek philosophy like Plato, I think we only had two dialogues, the Timaeus and one other at the time of... um, at the time of Dante. So Greek literature was not something that he would have read much of. In any case, moving forward, recall that we had our third dream. And so we enter the fourth day of the Purgatorio. The third dream was about Leah, wife of Jacob, first wife, who represents the active life or the life of doing things. She is making a garland in the dream. Recall also the second wife, Rachel, who is Staring at her reflection in a mirror, and thus his image of reflection or the contemplative life, also married to Rachel. Why are they, or to Jacob? Why are they both married to him? Well, it seems as if the good life or the best life, which uh, Dante disagrees with his younger self from the convivio about, seems to have activity and contemplation wedded together in a hieros gamos, a holy marriage. And that seems to be the idea of Aristotle as well, who ultimately says in his Nicomachean Ethics. That the speculative life and the practical life come together in the political life for a human. Because your life is political insofar as you exist alongside other humans and act in an ethical way, uh, in a rule-based way. Which of course we all do because we are all subject to which documents in, in America that make sure that we behave in a, according to a certain set of laws and rules. The Constitution, of course, very good. All right. In any case, earthly paradise. We got here. We met uh, a guardian named Matilda, who then showed us to, or we then saw alongside her uh, the two rivers of Eden. Recall, you Noah, which reminds you of all the good deeds that you have done in your life, and the Lethe, which helps you to forget that your sins. Of life, Because you no longer need to know those sins because you have now corrected them at the top of purgatory and are going to go to a place without sin and without the possibility of acquiring sin. Notice also that when we got to this garden, we saw the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It will go from being sort of dead and dilapidated to being uh, rejuvenated when it makes contact with the griffin, which is a symbol for, we recall, as a hybrid of two kings, Jesus. All right, in any case. Here are the symbols again. We're going to go through these. You need to know these very much so for the final. So, the first part of the biblical procession. Imagine a parade. And the first part of the parade are these seven tall golden candles. In Canto 29, 43, 54. Uh, they are, and we recall them from yesterday, wisdom, the or the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. Behind them are 24 mature men, that means old men, who are dressed in pure white with crowns of lilies. Lilies are the fleur-de-lis, they are white. And so we see white hats or white tops on the top of this procession. We will see sort of an Italian flag as we go on it. Start white, and then the tops will be green, and then the tops will be red. So the order's not quite right, but the colors are. All right, the next bit we see is there is a chariot being drawn by a griffin with four animals with peacock-like wings around the chariot. And on the right wheel of the chariot are three dancing women, one of which are covered in red, green, and snow white, which is very italian seeming, very Christmas-color-y. Those are, of course, the colors of the theological virtues. White, purity, faith, hope, ever-regenerating, green, red color of love and sacrifice and charity love yes and on the left wheel opposite the theological virtues are four dancing women representing the cardinal virtues or the so-called practical virtues we were called those are fortitude temperance prudence and justice as the theological virtues are faith hope and love um, And these are crimson colored. And recall that there is one that is three-eyed, and she is prudence. Prudence is practical wisdom, which is the ability to see the past, present, and future, because, well, you have to see those three aspects of time in conjunction to understand where it is and when it is that you are. Which is why you learn history, by the way. Moving on. Behind the chariots, after the coming of Christ, after the coming of the church, Are now seven more men dressed in white, but now wearing crowns of roses after the great sacrifice. The sacrifice of whom? Well, the griffin, Jesus. There come the seven men who wrote the New Testament or are big figures in the New Testament. Um, And so this includes two old men who are the physician. Traditionally speaking, Luke, who wrote Acts of the Apostles, at least traditionally speaking. There is some debate about this sort of thing. And the other who carries a sword, who will define the limits of the endeavor, will be Paul, who wrote the letters or epistles. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Then four men of humble appearance are James, Peter, John, and Jude. They wrote very short epistles um, near the end of the New Testament. And then, of course, the New Testament ends with a single old man, John the writer of Revelation. John the Evangelist, I believe he is sometimes called, um, with sharp features even as he sleeps. So these are the seven writers of the New Testament. Paul, Luke, James, Peter, John, Jude, and other John. Yes, John of the Apocalypse, which is a pretty cool name. All right. Now, let's open our books to page 3.30. Now, Canto 30. At the end of this procession, and you might imagine at the end of time is what's at the end of this procession after Revelation, what comes at the end? Well, the revelation of hope, of a new image of perfection, of a new reason to be. That will be embodied by a person that Dante has wanted to see for a long time long time. Beatrice Portinari. Now recall, he didn't really know Beatrice very well by our standards. He only ever saw her at age nine, and then I think he saw her again. But she got married at 21 and then died at 24. So she's much less somebody that he actually knew and loved, and far more a figure that he idolized, and idealized even. Like somebody that he saw on Instagram and decided, "Wow, she's so perfect that I'm going to dedicate all my life to producing things that are as perfect as she is, or things that might garner her decision, her attention." And so, she is far more like a figure of a, like an Athena, or an Aphrodite, or even say a, a Mary figure to him, um, idealized, divinized, hmm. and so. Let's start at line 13 or so. As the blessed when the last trump sounds will rise quickly each one from his tomb, their flesh put on again singing hallelujahs. So there arose on the divine chariot at the voice of that elder a hundred ministers and messengers of eternal life, angels. And we're saying Benedictus qui venus, happy are you who come and throwing flowers above and around. date Lilia Plinis. That is, a, that is a quote actually from Virgil, and I'm just going to move to that slide just so that we can look at that and quote that. Good, because that's going to be important in a moment. I have seen at the beginning of day, the eastern part of the sky all roseate, and the rest of it dressed in tranquility. So this is sunrise, whereas the inferno began at sunset. And the face of the sun appeared shadowy and such that it was so tempered by mist that the eye could bear to look for a long time. So inside, a great cloud of flowers, which leapt out of the angelic hands and fell inside the chariot and all around it, over a white veil, crowned with olive, that's green, white, green, a lady came to me under her green cloak, clothed in the color of flame. Flame is which color? White, green, and red, the holy virtues again. And my spirit, which for so long a time had not been in her presence, trembled with wonder, crushed without knowing her anymore with my eyes. But through the secret virtue with which went out from her, felt the great power of the ancient love. The moment that as I looked, I was stabbed, or I was struck by the high virtue which had already stabbed me before I was out of my boyhood, I turned round to my left with that trust with which a child runs to his mother when he is afraid or in trouble. So he turns to the left. Who is he going to look at and share this moment with? Virgil, of course. To say to Virgil, less than a drop of blood is left in me that is not trembling. I know the signs of the ancient flame. That's also from Virgil. But... Virgil had taken himself away from us you see that us again just like in the middle of our life who has lost Virgil as well as Dante all of us all of us too Virgil my sweetest father to whom I had given myself up for my own well being now was all that our ancient mother lost enough to keep my cheeks Although washed with dew from turning, dark with tears, and I wept. And this is actually one of my favorite parts. The very first thing Beatrice says to him is this. Dante, weep no more for Virgil's going. Weep no more yet. You will have to weep presently because of another sword. She will be uh, very critical of of our Dante and his wayward ways after... She died. He supposedly made some sort of promise that he would never take uh, an earthly love and would only pursue her. That's certainly not the case. Certainly not the case. He had, you know, a wife and three children. And so, and this is from Dante Worlds. While we don't actually see Virgil leave the stage, he just sort of disappears as he appeared, sort of like people coming in and leaving your life. His disappearance from the action of the poem is marked appropriately enough by a loving Truby. Tribute to the Roman poet based on his own verses. Dante first cites Virgil's original Latin, Manibus Date Lilia Plenis, give lilies with full hands. And recall also that lilies are a funereal flower, so an interesting thing to say. And of course, that's something that you give at the end of things when somebody disappears. And of course, Virgil's disappearing here, so it's like a funeral. And it's like, let somebody go when they're gone. Hmm. <coughs> He then translates Virgil's verse from Latin to Italian, Agnosco Veteris Vestigia Flamai, Cognosco Isegne De lamptica Fiamma. I recognize the signs of the old flame, which comes from the *Aeneid* 423, and we see again in Purgatorio 3048. Finally, Dante echoes Virgil's Georgics, which records Orpheus' threefold repetition of Iordice's name with his own cry, Virgilio, 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 upon realizing the loss of his beloved God. So three times, Virgil, Virgil, Virgil. Um, Like Orpheus, when he lost his wife, yells her name, uh, Eurydice, 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 screaming into the heavens for that which you have lost. Reminds me also some of Aeneas screaming for Creusa at the end of things. And so, even though this is a happy time, it is also a sad time. All right, let's finish up here. So moving a little bit backwards. Let's talk about what happens very quickly to, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly, uh, what happens to the chariot, the uh, uh, um, the griffin, and the procession. So we're going to go through a small drama here. Just at the beginning of the Purgatorio, there was a drama. So at the end, there is a drama. And just as the beginning, it was a drama of expiating sin, of keeping a snake outside of Purgatory. So will this drama, sh- portray the metaphorical corruption of the church and how it happened over time. So first we see a tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Technically it's dead, it's dilapidated, but then it gets renewed and rejuvenated by contact with the Griffin, which is Jesus and the wagon, which is church, the church, almost as if knowledge of good and evil is what the church is supposed to have. And that is supposed to be provided by the spirit of Jesus, which might be the human word or Logos. That in order to rejuvenate an institution which has become corrupt, you must apply ethical principles and actions to it based on right thinking. Sounds perfect. Again, this shows that that which is corrupted can be purified. Of course, you have to use the intellect to do that and behave appropriately. Thus, the church, the state, and the human soul can be purified. In fact, it seems as if in doing the one, Purifying one's self and one's actions, one purifies one's institutions that one is involved in. Because, of course, one's actions and choices within an institution is what defines what the institution is. And so, the human soul can be purified, or at least the human mind and behavioral repertoire, though they have been corrupted by returning through action and reflection towards one's original ideal, Eden. So, uh, it seems as if turning back towards an original pristine ideal is, in fact, that which leads one towards better behavior and actions itself. It's almost as if a change of attitude, like perhaps any coach may have ever said to you at some point, you need to change your attitude, is actually something that leads to a better existence, according to Dante here, very provocative. And so one can return to the beginning of the race, not just by turning back, but by moving forward in time, like taking the lap, another coach metaphor there. Unless the future and the past uh, may lead towards the same place. Uh, that's sort of metaphorical. So let's get, let's get uh, a little more, Matter of fact here. Beatrice then commands Dante to observe and report on what happens to the chariot. This is going to be a dramatic allegory, as I said, for Christian history. An eagle swoops down through the flowering tree and strikes the chariot. The eagle is the Roman Empire. The chariot is the Roman persecution of the early church, what Statius was afraid of uh, receiving. A fox then leaps into the chariot. Foxes are heresies They tried to change the body of the early church law before being chased away by Beatrice well then this imperial eagle again attacks the chariot this time leaves behind some feathers well that's the donation of Constantine he was the king the emperor of Rome we recall in 325 donated some land and thus money and power to the church and so he left his stain on it well now a dragon appears. And you're saying, what does the dragon represent? The nation of Islam, which was viewed as a schism with Christianity by, uh, by uh, Dante. And it rips through the bottom of the chariot and carries away a part of it. I think its, it's tail is described as wasp-like. And then, after being poisoned or, or, or corrupted by the feathers of the eagle, attacked by the great dragon, what's left of the chariot? Like... Something afflicted with a virus starts to change and transform and mutate. It turns into something with seven monstrous heads, like the beast of the apocalypse. Uh, Almost like seven deadly virtues. Three at the front have oxen horns, mm -hmm, like the sensual vices. And then four single-horned creatures at the corners. Are, are those the, the slothful and the, the worse sort of uh, virtues, or excuse me, the, the virtues near, the, or excuse me, the vices near the bottom of the Purgatorio. Oh, interesting, something worth thinking about. In any case, are these corrupt ideals and behaviors that produce all the evil of the world? Huh. And so, then seated in the chariot appears a loosely clad prostitute, a chariot drawn by a seven-headed monster creature who lasciviously embraces a giant standing next to her who is the prostitute well that's the now corrupt church that has accepted money for services just as a prostitute accepts money for services and who is the giant who continually kisses and strokes her and will violently beat her when she looks at dante a source of truth in front of us well that's the 14th century french kings i think to some extent it's the 8th century ones but uh yes so the french 14th century century french kings there are two of them i think pepin the short was one of them the other i'm forgetting um philip the fair ah yes very good philip the fair there we go he uh when pope boniface VIII, who we dislike so much does not follow the will of philip the fair Philip the Fair will actually have uh, Pope Boniface VIII kidnapped and held for a sum of days. Boniface will be so humiliated by that that he'll die within the year afterwards. And so, the giant brutally beats the wanton woman who is the church, who is the house of the Pope, uh, Pope Boniface VIII. And finally drags the chariot and woman into the forest, into a place of the unknown, into a disorienting place of chaos. The idea seems to be that where is the church and there, and where is the state and where are the people around Dante now? Are they in order, known territory, or are they in, the, or, or are they in a state of chaos? If they are dragged by a giant into the woods, what is that a symbol for? Order or chaos? Yeah. Chaos, of course. Yeah. And so who's got to fix this? Dante. Somebody. Who is somebody? The person who sees the problem. And who sees the problem? Dante. And so what's he got to do about it? He's got to identify it, analyze it, and fix it. And perhaps that's what he's trying to teach us how to do. Keep our own society from falling and degenerating into chaos and to promote order and well-being. Does not seem like so bad a goal for a writer perhaps that's why we still have his work so many years later. And in any case, when we turn to the very end of the Purgatorio, we will note what we see at the end of the Purgatorio, Canto 33, page 347. I came back from that most sacred of streams, made afresh, as new trees are renewed with their new foliage, So just as the tree of knowledge of good and evil has been renewed by the understanding of an individual and the connection back to the principle of understanding or the logos, so is he made new again in this new endeavor. And so I was clear and ready to go up to the stars. And you see that the last word of the Purgatorio is the same last word as the Inferno, which will be the same last word as in the Paradiso. Stars, an image ultimately of... Hope.